I'd like at this time to ask you to uh, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll be reading verses 15 through verse 20. Of course, Moses has been talking with the people of God and has been in a lengthy discourse telling them to uh, walk in the ways of the Lord, do his will, and receive the blessings of God, because if they don't, then the curses of God will come upon them. And this is nearing the end of that discourse where Moses is telling them to choose life. So listen here to God's word. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Amen. Our first New Testament passage is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 1. Listen here to God's word. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness. Yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. 
For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when, our, when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Amen. And then our final New Testament passage is found in 1 John chapter 2. And we'll be reading the first 11 verses together. 1 John 2, beginning at verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Amen. This time I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and silently meditate upon God's word that we've read this morning. Father, we do thank you that we can come into your presence anytime because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That we are your beloved children. And that, Lord, we know of your great faithfulness to us, even as we reflect on this last week, of how you have blessed us and continue to draw us near and continue to uh, encourage us in the faith. And even when we've gone astray, Lord, you have brought us back. How grateful we are for your tender, loving care. And we pray for that same care to be granted us through your spirit as we look into your word this morning. Open our minds, our hearts. Lord, allow nothing to restrict us from embracing what you have for us today. And may Jesus Christ be exalted. And as he's exalted, may you be glorified. 
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I assume that at some time in your life, when you answered the last question to the final exam that allowed you to finish your education and graduate, that you imagined probably the same thing that I imagined. Finally, no more tests. <laughs> Boy, were we wrong. You see, the real tests of life come after school and after graduation when real life hits, when the rubber hits the road, as they say. And you know what? Throughout the scriptures, God talks about tests, both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. We can see instances where God tests us or where we test God or where the world itself is testing us. Some of these tests are very hard and difficult. Some of these tests can take us to places we thought we would never go. Some of these tests can take our faith and bring it to the brink of falling apart, at least in our minds. We come to the breaking point. Maybe you have experienced that type of testing in your life this week. Where the tests, whether they've come from God or because you're testing God or because the world is, is pressuring down on you, you have been succumbing to the tests that have everything to do with your faith. Abraham had to go through one of those tests once after he heard about the great relationship that he was going to be having with the Lord God and, and how God was from his seed going to bless all the nations of the world. God took him through an extreme test. We know it very well. It's found in Genesis chapter 22 where God tells Abraham to take now his son, his only son, and offer him up on a sacrifice at a place that he has designated. And in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, we read that God did this to test Abraham. And Abraham passed the test, as we know. For when he went to strike down his son, the Lord says, now I know, now I know that you love me, that you will do my will. Don't strike down your son, your only son. And he provided a ram to put on 
in his place as a sacrifice. As you and as I am living in this world for Christ, we need to know that there is the testing that faith claims on a believer's life. But we also need to be mindful, beloved, that the testing that faith claims on a believer's life is a reoccurring reality. The reason why I wanted to emphasize this is because I don't believe that always when believers are going through the testing that they realize that God is using it in a mighty way in their lives. In fact, if you go to 1 Peter and chapter 4, we see how Peter is talking to the believers there who are going through harsh tests. And he says to them in verses 12 and verse 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. In other words, so that we have this clear all of us here today who have been saved by God's grace through saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have been adopted into God's family and we are now enrolled in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. But we're also under God's tutelage. We're also under God's schooling and the word of God becomes the core curriculum. And we're being taught by God, the Holy Spirit, how to live for Christ. And those testings of faith and its claims on our lives continues on and on and on for each one of us. That's why we're told to bear one another's burdens. That's why we're told to pray for one another and encourage one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. You see, Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he understood very well about the people of God and how, how they respond to the truth of God and the commandments of God and the will of God. And that's why he spends a great deal of time with these people that he is leading under God's grace and control, telling them over and over again, receive the blessings of God, do the will of God, follow in the ways of God, and you will have the blessings of God. But 
if you will not, if you will not follow his commands, if you will not embrace the Lord and and stay close to him and hold on to him, then you will receive the discipline of the Lord and the curses of God. The unfortunate thing about this is that God actually foresees that Israel will not keep the Sinai covenant that he's made with them. In fact, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 4, we read this. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of the rebellion that that the children of Israel did against the Lord in going up in the land the first time, this is what Moses is able to see because God gives them the insight into their hearts. He says, yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. What a tragic, distressing spiritual condition that Moses is laying out for us here. To not have a heart to know, to not have eyes that can see, to not have ears that can hear what God has for you? Can you imagine? After all that God had done to reveal himself to them, not only in the wandering and providing manna and and causing their clothes to not uh, wear out and and to provide them drink and all the protections that he gave them, but the, the great miracle of deliverance from Egypt. And yet this is the condition. No heart to know. No eyes to see. No ears to hear what God has for them. You know, there could be someone here today sitting under this, the hearing of the word of God and be in this condition. Moses goes on there in chapter 30 and he's not only able to see by, by God's grace what their, where their heart is, but he actually is, is forecasting that they are going to turn away from the Lord. That they're going to forsake the covenant of their God. And that they're going to fall under the sufferings of God's curse and be banished from their land. But the great hope is, is this. The Lord says, but if you repent and if you return to the Lord to obey him, notice what God says he'll do here in in chapter 30, verses uh, two through five. He says, first of all, he's going to restore them. He's going to love them, have compassion on them. He's going to gather them to himself and bring them back. And he's going to take them back to become his own 
beloved people again so that they may live, that they may prosper, that they may multiply in the land. And the reason why he could say this is because he prophesies in verse 6 by saying this. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Praise God. What you don't realize But you'd have to go back to chapter 10 where Moses is told by the Lord to tell the people, you circumcise your heart. You do it. But they didn't because they couldn't. And that's what makes this promise so great because he says, God will do this. God will circumcise your heart. And your descendants to love the Lord your God, to serve Him. This is what God wants to do. And you know, this has the element of the new covenant promised here, doesn't it? Because if you go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, you hear it even further amplified about God changing the heart, giving them a new heart, writing the law of God on their hearts. And when you turn to Hebrews chapter 8, you find out very clearly here in Hebrews 8 that indeed Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. For he says here, In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8, for finding fault with them. Who was them? It was Israel in their unbelief. Finding fault with them, he says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hands to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. And then he says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Praise the Lord. It's here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, that Moses concludes this lengthy process of explaining to the people of God how they need to trust God, how they need to love God, how they need to follow God. In fact, he exhorts it, but he does it in the context of recalling their past failures and yet looking and foreseeing that future hope. Moses 
urges Israel to progress in the testing that faith claims on their lives by trusting God, by obeying his commands, by receiving the blessings of a faithful people. But he says there in verses 17 and 18, but if you turn away and do not obey, you will perish. And then he says this in verses 19 and 20. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you might live. You and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. <coughs> Excuse me. Just as Moses <clears throat> tells the people of God to choose life by trusting God and obeying his commands, so in, the, in 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian believers to choose life. How? By obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, by walking in his ways. Because Jesus Christ has accomplished for them, has, and, and they in faith have fully realized in the Lord Jesus Christ as believers that they have new life in him. Yet in, in both cases, beloved, there is required a faith-led life of loving obedience to our God. If we are going to receive all the blessings of God, <clears throat> the reason why I bring this up is because Paul is still dealing with a church who is living in sin. In fact, he has to come down as a father on his children, as spiritual children, very harshly here. You don't pick it up as you read it, but this is what he's saying. This is the third time I'm coming to you. This is the third time I'm coming to you. And then he says this from Old Testament law. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, the law of God on witnessing somebody who has done wrong needs to be confirmed by two or three witnesses before they can be judged. Paul says here, this is the third time I'm coming to you. The first witness was my first time coming. 
The second witness is, was my second time coming. This is the third time. What were they doing? Well, all you have to do is read the earlier chapter, the last two verses of that chapter, and you can find out what type of lifestyle these quote-unquote believers were living, at least some of them. He says in verse 20, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossips, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past. And notice, and not repented, not repented of the impurity, immorality, sensuality, which they have practiced. <clears throat> Paul goes on in this portion of this letter in 2 Corinthians 13 and verses 3 and 4. And he says, let me exhort you, let me exhort you to recall how Christ has been at work in your life through the words that I have shared with you. They have been working mightily in your, in your midst. And then he says this, verse four, though Christ's saving work may appear to be a weakness in the fact that he humbly gave his life as a sacrifice for your sins. His victorious resurrection from the dead is now powerfully standing to rebuke those who are still in their sins living in selfish pride, in immorality, in contempt for even the servant of the Lord. Yes, Jesus, Jesus Christ, though he was rich, as it says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, though he were rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor, that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. You see, the testing of faith claims on these people's lives was proving to be a failure in many of their lives. These ones that were living in sin In fact, that's why he says here in verse 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, 
that Jesus Christ is in you. Unless, indeed, you fail the test. You see, the testing of faith claims is something that we are all experiencing. Are we passing the tests or are we failing them? They come to every true believer and the true evidence of it is this, that Jesus Christ is in you. Because if you fail that test, you're a counterfeit. You're a reprobate. You're still living in unbelief if Christ, Jesus, is not in you. Therefore, it's good for us to ask ourselves this question. Have we examined ourselves? Have we tested ourselves? Is Christ in you? In other words, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Does the character of your life outside the confines of this church building match the profession on your lips? You see, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, ran into this a lot. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they would all confront him. And at one point in time in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, these Pharisees and scribes, they actually confront Jesus about his disciples. And they said, your disciples are not keeping the traditions of the elders. And Jesus counters their charge by stating, and you transgress the commandments of God for the sake of of your traditions by not honoring your father and your mother as God commanded. You see, they were living in disobedience to God's commands for the sake of their traditions. And it was a form of corruption and rebellion against God. And that's why Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, where he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. We also find a case Similar to this in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, where Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then Jesus uses the analogy of building a house, digging a, a deep foundation and putting that foundation on a rock versus building a house with no foundation at all to reveal the divergent outcomes between a person who hears and does his word versus a person who's heard 
and does not do his word. Both of these accounts show the importance of what's really going in the heart, what a person is really thinking, what are they really putting into practice in their life. For Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 21, you will know them by their fruits. For everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. This summer I was going through a book by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's a treatise on what he has entitled The Christian Life. And he explains in that book that we can be, as people generally are, creatures of extremes. (laughs) And boy, do we have Numerous examples of that today in our society as people respond to the COVID-19, don't we? They swing from one end of the pendulum to the other. But you see, sometimes this is a problem right in Christianity today. For believers who are ardent about the faith will fight and defend the doctrine at the expense of acquiring a devoted heart to God and vice versa. One end of the pendulum, the other. No, it's supposed to be all-inclusive. As Lloyd-Jones says, that type of attitude makes Christianity sort of half-baked. In fact, he wrote in his book, The Abundant Life Comes Only from a fully baked, both and combination of head and heart, of light and heat, of doctrine and life. And then he says this, the Christian life is not merely two-dimensional, it's three-dimensional living. It requires our minds, our hearts, and our wills. And then he says this, and listen carefully, He says, what a gospel. It can satisfy man's mind completely. It can move his heart entirely. It can lead to wholehearted obedience in the realm of our will. That is the gospel. Christ has died that we might be complete men, not merely that parts of us may be saved, Not that we might be lopsided Christians, but that there may be balanced finality about us. My question to you this morning is this. Is your, is mine, is our Christian experience three-dimensional? whereby we are by faith keenly merging our minds, renewing our minds, allowing our hearts to be filled with the truth of God's word, transforming hearts and wills to live complete in Christ? Or are we lopsided Christians? You see, how we answer this question really reveals how the testing that faith claims on us is working in our lives. And that's why Paul earlier on, even in this letter, wrote in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through six, 
that he was destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We must reject anything that is opposing the truth of God. Any views that are contrary to what we have in the scriptures. And we must be a people who obey and be devoted to our King, Jesus. What if um, on personal reflection yourself, do you find yourself that you've adopted the wisdom of the world at the cost of failing to live in the light and truth of God's saving, redeeming, sanctifying word, the way God expects us to live in Christ. What then? Paul said here in verse 10 that if they don't change, he says, he says, I'm writing these things while absent so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up, not for tearing down. Must the Lord's authority come on us that was meant for building us up to tear us down? The answer to that is no, that's not necessary. And that's why we looked at 1 John chapter 2. Because in 1 John chapter 2 we read, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the whole world. If we come and humble ourselves and repent and return to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the advocate that we have before the Father, we will receive forgiveness of sins. We will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And as we're renewed in Christ, we can continue on going through the the testing of faith claims in our lives to know him, to love him, to follow him. And as he says here in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 3 through 6, he says this, and everyone, excuse me, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So how are the testing that faith claims on your life going for you. You feel like you're passing the test? Well, what should this word have for you? 
Well, I think all you have to do is turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3, and you'll find out. Because what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica is also for us. And the main phrase there is, excel still more. Even though we may be going through the testing that faith claims in our lives, with grace and faith, let us not lose heart in doing well. Let us continue to excel still more to the glory of our Savior and our Lord. May it so be in our lives. Amen.